Good morning and welcome to AI Daily. I'm your host, Farb. I'm here with my co-hosts, Ethan and Connor, and we have three great news stories for you today. So let's jump in. The first story comes from Stability AI, which is actually two pieces of news. They've announced two big things. One is a new LLM chatbot they're saying is the world's first open source RLHF train chatbot. Uh, as well as some cool text-to-image news. Uh, but let's start with the uh, chatbot. Uh, Connor, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what this means, world's first uh, open-source RLHF-trained LLM chatbot? Yeah, the RLHF is the key point here because RLHF stands for Reinforcement Learning with Human Feedback. And that's where, when they train the model, they do the initial training of the neural net, but then they go back and fine-tune it over human responses to how they like the model. So on like ChatGPT, when you get the little thumbs up or thumbs down and you click it, you get feedback. That's what reinforcement learning with human feedback is. So Stable Vicuña is the first open source model to have that. And that's another knock out of the park by Stability AI and getting us closer to an open source version of GPT-4 with the human touch that we see it have, so. Yeah, very cool. I, I had a chance to play with it a little bit. Ethan, how about you? I did, yeah. I was able to use it through their hugging, hugging face model page. And just like Connor mentioned, when people talk about alignment, that's really what RLHF is. So we're seeing better responses with it. Um, I've enjoyed using it, so we'll see how it continues to improve. They put out some previews of a UI they want to release with it, so I'm excited for them. Yeah, I played with their, uh, I didn't get a chance to play with their text to image, but I dug into it a little bit. And one of the coolest things I found about it is it has the ability to upscale images. So it can first generate a small 64 by 64 image, and then it can upscale it twice up to a 1280 by 1280 image. And they're incredibly photorealistic. Obviously, they're showing off good examples, but two big pieces of news from Stability AI. Uh, what can we do with stuff like this, Ethan? Well, if you've ever messed with stable diffusion of previous and you've ever tried to generate some text within the image, you probably know you can never read it. So if you are looking to generate images with text, um, looking for even logos or just more realistic images, these text to image models that they release with Deep Floyd are fantastic. And secondly, on the chat side, like Connor mentioned, this is the first RLHF chat trained LLM. So having these model weights open source, having this all on hugging face, it's an exciting time. Connor, is this stuff we can use today or do we got to wait a little bit? With, um, with deep, with stable Cunha, you can use that today. Um, I'm pretty sure deep Floyd is not deep out Floyd's yet. Are available. Deep Floyd's yeah. weights are available. So yeah, yeah I think so as well. They're, they're, th they're, their final upscaling, they said, is, is not quite available yet, yes. but um, yeah. I, th I think that's coming soon. Huge news from Stability AI. Uh, let's move on to our second story, which is around AI and the medical space. A couple of big pieces of news, one that everybody was sort of sharing over the past few days was about this research study that was done that showed that it seemed that, I think it was GPT-4 that they were using for it, um, was giving what, you know, patients perceived or people perceived as, as better responses with better bedside manner uh, than, than uh, doctors were giving. Now, there was some, you know, community notes in the, in the Twitter talking about how uh, not all of the, you know, information it was giving was accurate, uh, but I'm sure that's just going to obviously get better and better. Uh, and the other, you know, thing that's been around for a while is Dr. Gupta, which I finally had a chance to play with a little bit. And I, I found it 
really amazing. As you're talking to it, it's starting to show you uh, the research that it's looking at and the studies that it's looking at to talk about it. And you're even seeing it update on the side with the symptoms that you're giving it <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and stuff like that. So, you know, a couple of months ago, I don't think anybody would have thought that uh, we would be talking about potentially using these types of things as actual medical advice. Uh, but it seems like we're knocking on the door of it, <clears throat> if not already there yet. Uh, so, Ethan, can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, why you find this important, what you can do with it? Yeah, you probably noticed while you're using Dr. Gupta, too. Did you see how it was giving you kind of follow-up questions? If you said, hey, I have a slight headache, it asks you more questions versus just saying, oh, it could be this, it could be this. So if you notice that, I think we're seeing these models improve better user experience to them. As you mentioned with the research articles it pulls up, these are a much better experience than someone just using ChatGPT. So wrapping it in Dr. Gupta in that form has been fantastic. Like you mentioned on the tweets, always funny to see tweets like that go viral. Um, there's some truth to it, I imagine. Um, there's some more empathy when you have endless time as a chatbot, but those community notes on accuracy were not wrong. So we'll see how it continues to evolve. Connor, you have any thoughts on this space, uh, what's happening with AI and medical? Dr. Gupta, I don't know if you guys played it with on your phone, but it's, I mean, it's very, it's very fluid. It feels very natural compared to like a WebMD that people would traditionally use. You give it the medical information you want to share and it asks follow-up questions like Ethan said, and it really like digs deeper on what your problems are and how it can help you. So accuracy is of course a problem, but we'll see where it goes. So. You know, uh, and Dr. Gupta, you, you can use now and, it, you know, it's it's tough to compete if you're a doctor and someone asks you something, you have to, you know, go through your own memory of what you've learned about that. But if you're a chatbot, you can go and scour all the latest PubMed research and include that. And in fact, you know, in recent years, it's pretty normal for a doctor to sit there and actually, you know, Google some PubMed information while they're trying to figure something out. And uh, it, it's really cool to see this space progressing so rapidly. Uh, let's move on to our third story for today, which is around GPT-4's code interpreter. Can you tell us a little bit about what GPT-4's code interpreter is, Ethan? Yeah, so code interpreter is a chat GPT plugin. Um, so similar to uh, you've maybe seen other plugins like the web browser plugin, or maybe you've seen plugins for Kayak. But code interpreter is a code plugin. So really what it allows is gives chat GPT the ability to create its own code environment and run really any type of code, whether it's Python, whether it's audio, whether it's Excel sheets. So when you open it up to something like this, the example we saw was uh, Ethan Malik, I believe on Twitter, put in an Excel sheet of venture capitalists in metropolitan areas. So you imagine, you know, this big Excel sheet, bunch of data in it, and you want to create a visualization off of it. You want to create a bar chart. The code interpreter plugin allows you to do these type of, th of things. They really, it's opening the bounds of everything you could do with code, but bringing that to people who don't know how to code or haven't used code, or maybe don't know all the Excel macros, like you're in finance. So this code interpreter was fascinating. We saw him generate, gosh, I think 10, 20 different data visualizations off one Excel sheet. That would e either A, take someone an hour, or B, take someone 20 years to learn how to do that in 10 minutes. So seeing him be able to drop this Excel sheet in there, generate all these visualizations is really mind blowing. I mean, anyone who's ever tried to write code 
and now has that ability in the palm of their hands in a chat GPT plugin. So it's been fascinating. Yeah, it's what pretty amazing. We... It's, it's pretty amazing. You don't even have to like know how to code or know anything about code at all. You can upload up to a hundred megabot file and just say, Hey, I want a chart that shows me a map of this, or, Hey, I want to zoom in on this chart. And GP4 really understands the code and really translates between the code and natural language that you don't even know, you don't, you don't even have to know it's using code. And it's yeah. really like an exceptional use case for people. So, yeah, I think this really closes the gap <clears throat> quite a bit between, you know, the experts as it were, and, and common people, you know, we all have access to these open data sets, but doing regression analysis, uh, doing hypotheses based mm -hmm. on it, that, that's not easy for a, a common person to do, a normal person to mm -hmm. do. So this basically allows that anybody in front of their computer to almost be a research scientist um, and, and really dig into publicly available data in a way that before, you know, only a handful of people could do it. I, I thought one of the really interesting things in the story, I, I think he was asking, he asked GPT-4, uh, what data sets, if I, you know, put into this, uh, would be most likely to go viral? Uh, and it came up, you know, one of its suggestions was SF crime data. Uh, so, you know, they put in SF crime data uh, and got a whole bunch of visualizations around it. But even more than visualizations, it can provide hypotheses around the, the data and try and, you know, make connections and, and, and provide more insights into the data other than just visualizing it. Yeah. Um, and then again, like I said, you know, doing pretty advanced statistical analysis on it that is just not information and uh, capabilities that are yeah. accessible to most, most people. So. Yeah, I think I that was super a, cool. We're going to see a lot more with Code Interpreter too. Connor had a really good point in which it's going to be able to use Code Interpreter even when you're not directly asking it to. So a lot of times, hey, I want to clip part of an audio file. You should probably use code for that, but maybe you don't know how or don't even know that you should. So we're going to see Code Interpreter used across data visualization, audio, video, gosh, anything you use code for. So it's going to be cool. I hope and you, 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 you can also definitely see coming a future where both the web browsing plugin and the code interpreter plugin are in one. So you can be like, hey, I want a clip of this politician saying this. And it looks for every clip of that politician, finds a transcript of each, uses code to extract that clip. Boom. Can we start using this now, Connor? Or is this, uh, what's, what's I mean, the accessibility of this? Some people can. Ethan Mollett can. So if you have access to the plugin, then use it not it'll come to the rest of us eventually but yeah it's 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 coming fast so three big news stories today uh stability ai uh, ai in healthcare and uh, of course this new uh code interpreter plugin but uh before we leave uh what have you guys been seeing in the space what have you guys been using in the space I've been honestly very fascinated on the Dr. Gupta side on medical side in general um even science.io from will um, is fantastic. I mean, we're, we're seeing processing medical documents better, being able to extract patient information. There's more chatbots to chat with your Apple health data. So everything across the healthcare space with LLMs has been fascinating to me. What about you, Connor? Yeah, there was another study I saw uh, yesterday. It was about how boosting theory of mind performance in large language models by prompting. And it really showed that telling GPT-4, telling ChatGPT to go step-by-step step is really the key differentiator in how much smarter you can make it be. It's really interesting with the research under the prompt engineering.
-hmm. Yeah, I saw something uh, similar uh, and a prompt technique that I, I've found really helpful for a long time is really telling GPT what it is before you mm -hmm. ask it to help you. So if you need help with being, uh, you know, with uh, coding, for example, you tell it that it's an expert coder, that it's an expert programmer, and even more so, it specializes in helping novice programmers uh, get through programming problems. And if you prompt it that way, uh, it actually makes a big difference in, in how it responds to you. Uh, and then even further, if you add the sort of uh, make it step by step, it really can get into excruciating detail. One time I asked it for excruciating detail and it told oh, yeah. me, I will give you these steps in excruciating detail. Uh, so um, yeah, that, that was very cool to see. Well, uh, that's it for today's show. Thanks a lot for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow with uh, more about AI. And finally, congratulations to the Italians on getting ChatGPT back. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, welcome back into the fold. <laughs> Have a great day, guys. Peace, guys.